Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Well, welcome back to the Addiction Connection. It is me, Heather, and then Kurt, and we still have the Charlie Reznikoff, the Dr. Charlie Reznikoff, the Rez. Hello. We're going to call Rez. the house. Rez. Rezzy. This is our lucky number 13th, which is why we're letting Kurt take the lead on this one. Well, but was Rez your high school nickname then? Uh, well, do you really? Or, it, or was it cough? Would you, it was <laughs> actually, if you'd like the disclosure, my college nickname was Rezin Cough. And you can do the math on that. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So today, uh, That's why you're we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna talk today. <laughs> this actually came up because I I gave a talk on something else, and we on it on alcohol and, and addiction. And then the squirrel ran by. Yes, and uh, the person who actually uh, one of the first people ever to talk about. Alcoholism as a disease was actually none other than Dr. Benjamin Rush. And he had a very colorful past, and I thought, wouldn't that be a fun thing to talk about? I Yes, he did have a very colorful past. So why, so why are we talking about Dr. Benjamin Rush? Well, let me just give you just the, the kind of the start of it. He He's kind of an interesting guy. He actually uh, was around during the time of the revolution, and he actually signed the Declaration of Independence. Amazing. Yeah, uh, which but was, I, yeah. But I still don't know how and why. Uh, they just, you know, like put up a sign. Who wants to show up and sign the declaration? And actually at the time it was a dangerous thing to do because huh. you were going against the queen and that whole deal. So, huh. um, And actually he became the Surgeon General at that time of the Continental Army. But see, that's interesting that they called him the Surgeon General because in some of the history stuff that you made me read this morning on my treadmill – Talked about the difference between surgeons and physicians in America. Oh, interesting. But then they call him the Surgeon General of the Continental Army because oh. in England it was it was very divided. Yeah. In the United States it was kind of a little bit more blurry between surgeons them. and physicians. Well, yeah, there were surgeons were the cutters, the autopsy people. The yeah, but so were the barbers. And actually, in the U.S. at that time, there was surgeons there was like these quacks there were barbers doing surgical procedures there was all kinds of different people but he who was, were physicians kind of he yeah. was quoted because he was a physician so they were the thinkers they were the diagnosticians they were they were the they were the smart ones clearly but yeah. he was actually in one of those things said something like how much far superior they were than well surgeons. At, at that time there was very few physicians that were actually trained other That's than being true. a uh, an apprentice. apprentice. So yeah. so he was one that actually went and got trained. He was also a chemistry professor um, and he wrote the first chemistry textbook in America. Huh. I mean this guy was smart. Huh. Um, so yeah, but he Until he became a doctor. Yeah, but he did a lot <laughs> with uh, mental disorders and that's actually um, you know the the they they basically talk about him being the founder of American psychiatry. And in fact, the American Psychiatric Association in 1965 named him the father of American psychiatry. So, I mean, the guy, you know, he did some things. Yeah. But again, for our purposes from addiction, he was the man who came up with alcohol as alcoholism as potentially a disease. Yes. So, I, I, so and that's where I've heard of, I mean, I think I've had people in different talks bring that up. I've heard this before. Am I alone? 
But yes. that what? That he was the guy who first came up with it as a disease. You've never heard that. You know, I've I've heard of him in passing, but I don't know him super well, and I and I don't know that he's the one who thought of that. I mean, this is this cool to hear about it. Did he, where did he did he train in Europe? Oh, Scotland we'll get or to, somewhere? Yep. Yeah, Edinburgh. Scotland. Yeah, that's the cool place. Although, yeah. Can I just say, if we're gonna go back to his whole psychiatry thing. He had this invention called the tranquilizing chair. Yeah. It's basically a chair that they like handcuff you to and put a box over your head and We'll get to that. Yeah. It was supposed to increase the blood flow to your head. Yeah. To to help heal your mental disease. So oh boy. like Skinner's Skinner's box. Didn't Skinner have a box? Oh, Skinner's box was like way more Skinner, Skinner put his daughter in that box. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Okay, now, anyways. Nowadays, you go to prison for that. But <laughs> yeah. but yeah, his early life, he was actually born in 1746. So again, he went to... Uh, just what a is, few years before yeah, you. Yeah, he just about six years before me. He was in the <laughs> class before me. But he actually went to the college, which it turned into Princeton, which yeah. was the College of New Jersey. But he graduated from college at age 14? Correct. So did college. I. Uh, so did I. Charlie looked like he was 14. Yeah, I've seen those pictures. Yeah, yeah. I love. Uh, I'm never going to call Princeton Princeton again. I'm only going to call Princeton the College of New Jersey. Yeah, that's yeah, what it was. Those snobs. <laughs> yeah. Forget that. Hey, if you're hey, from you went to the College of New Jersey, yeah, that's an okay school. If you're from Princeton, let that go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he uh, and then he became a medical apprentice. But when he went to school, he was in Scotland. And this is kind of this interesting rumor thing: is that the rumor was that uh, Benjamin Franklin actually paid for. His uh. his uh, training, and was and they were lifelong friends. He met him while he was in Europe. Yeah. So Isn't that weird. Yeah, but I guarantee Ben Franklin was laundering money from the <laughs> King of France or somewhere. You know, <laughs> Franklin was in everything. Well, he, he was trouble. He did some things that probably nowadays would end up in prison as well. Yeah, there and was girl he, things. You know. Yeah, but he, I think he also got some lavish gifts, and he was treated well in France. Yeah, and uh, and so our friend. Uh, Dr. Rush, he actually was fluent in multiple languages, like three. But he went okay, to Philadelphia. You, you literally make notes that he was fluent in French, Italian, and Spanish. So he's fluent in three languages, but didn't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> what? He speaks English, yes. But that would be four languages. Okay, four languages. <laughs> I meant other than English. So, yeah. so yeah, so then he came back and he... he said three. <laughs> then he came back and he went to Philadelphia and started his practice and... And actually, he uh, he got married. He actually is. He tried to get married once, and that wife, when they were engaged, died, or that fiance. So he did remarry and had thirteen children. So there's a lot of we have to Oof. be careful what we say because there's, uh, I think nine of them survived. Uh, four of them died before they were uh. or, before they were a one. Year. Yeah. So, but he was a very politically active guy, and actually, uh, he probably would have had a a career in politics, but he was a very strong personality and had a lot of enemies. Mm. But he was anti-slavery. He was he was for prison reform. You know, he was for the education of women. Uh, got, See, there yeah, you go. There you go. Now I like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Scotland. I mean, I, we. I don't know what we think of Scotland. I love Scotland. I recently went to Scotland, but I think Scotland in that day was really an intellectual hub. I mean, people went there, and it was like enlightenment. Scotland. Yeah, you know? yeah. that's he, interesting. Progressive. Yeah, I think yeah. they had a they had a really big uh, enlightenment movement philosophy. But he was sarcastic, which made him a lot of enemies. So he and I would get along really well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that explains some things. Um, but Maybe, you know, I he, wonder what his like family tree. I mean, he had these nine kids. Yeah, there's got to be. So a lot my of question them. is, like, we should the look rushes. back and see like the the lineages and yeah. see who came from him. Yeah. So here's the thing, though. Uh, we're gonna just all... we're gonna like uh, ignore what you're saying and uh, and move on. <laughs> <What else is laughs> But actually, the uh, 
you know, he had a lot to do with the war. And so that, that whole, uh, that whole thing about signing the Declaration of Independence, and, and he was just this huge outspoken patriot. But he, uh, unfortunately, actually one of his teachers was a guy by the name of Dr. Ship, Shippen. And, you can't uh, even read your own handwriting. Yeah, right Shippen. Now. That was his guy's mm-hmm. name. And he was one of the guys that taught him. He was an apprentice under him. So Dr. Shippen, Shippen <laughs> <laughs> he was actually the Surgeon General or whatever of the entire army. Well, unfortunately, our friend Dr. Benjamin Rush threw him under the bus. Oof. I don't know if there was a bus back then. Okay, threw him under the cart. <laughs> threw him under the Oxtron carriage. Yes, and it, he must have been very slow because he couldn't get out from underneath it, and he got let go. Uh, and he had sent this letter to George Washington and saying, basically, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. They let ship and go, and yeah. of course he moved in. He's like, remember medical school, the gunners? Yes. You know, the gunners that were always trying to get the A in class. So who, which of us was a gunner? Not me. I'm looking at you, not, Heather. Not in medical school. I was not. Okay, but Every undergrad, other time in my life, yeah, remember that curve thing I told you about? Yeah. My friend Bobby and I, who's a dentist in Maui, we broke the ship, the the. Schmitty curve every time, but well, I was not a good gunner in medical school. But anyway, we're Congress into the weeds cleared here. him. That's just in this. Maui. I'd rather be in Maui right now. There you go. Too. There you go. Yeah. So yeah. So and actually, just so you know, later uh, Congress I actually literally just said that cleared him out, and I didn't hear you because I don't I don't hear you when you're talking. But but yeah. So the second thing he did during the war was he actually sent an anonymous letter uh, because he decided that George Washington didn't know what he was doing too. That didn't go well because yeah. he sent it to Patrick Henry. And Patrick Henry was a friend of George Washington's, and he hand-carried the letter and gave it to George Washington. George Washington recognized the handwriting. It's not like today where you can type out something and it's hard to kind of yeah. link to you. Do you right? know how to type? I do. Not. He probably also recognized this is like a whiny complainer <laughs> who's throwing someone under the bus. I've read a letter like this right, before. Right. So he got the old heave-ho. They let him resign after going after the big guy, uh, that was really trouble. Okay, so the really cool stuff. Yeah, so let's go one real cool thing before we talked about him as a doctor. And that cool thing is that President Jefferson, I believe it was Jefferson during Jefferson. the... Yeah, Jefferson was actually around during the time of Lewis and Clark. Well, the whole Louisiana Purchase thing and sent mm-hmm. Lewis and Clark on this yeah. trek from Missouri out west to see what he had purchased. Go check it out. Just see what's out there. Mm-hmm. So he sends Lewis and Clark to none other than prominent physician, our friend, Dr. Benjamin Rush, for medical advice for this trip. Well, one of the things that uh, Dr. Rush did is he had his own what were called bilious pills, but he had another name for them. He called them thunderbolt pills. And those were pills that uh, were actually uh, laced with a lot of mercury. Calomel. Calomel. So they had mercury in them. Uh, but mercury was used for a lot of different things back then. It was actually a treatment for syphilis. Although it didn't work. Well, it didn't work for long. You were still going to die. But if you'd overdose on it, of course, it would kill you. Um, but they used this also if you were constipated. Which they, which worked because it's like yeah. syphilis or syphilis. No, but see, they'd Mercury eat. is, but mercury is a laxative. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so they would on the trail eat mostly meat. Really absorbed. Yeah. They eat mostly meat. So they get constipated. So they would give them this to kind of clean them out well here's people would be like thunderbolted because they'd be having explosive uh, diarrhea i never (laughs) thought about constipation as a risk of being you know an adventurer (laughs) it was that (laughs) intrepid explorer if you're only eating like the cows you kill is not any of the berries yeah yeah i guess you don't want to eat wild berries that wouldn't 
Yeah. I wouldn't go that out. That might also no. give you diarrhea. Yeah. yeah, the wrong berries. But And you're probably thinking, how am I going to connect all this? Why am I talking about Lewis and Clark? Well, here's the interesting part, is that in the manual of explorers at that time was when you went out and you were exploring and you built an encampment, you had to take a 90-pace walk, and that's where you built the latrine. And interestingly, as they marched across with the 50 dozen Thunderbolt pills that they had gotten from <laughs> from Dr. our friend Dr. Rush, when they would have bowel movements in the latrine, they would leave mercury traces all the way across the U.S. Whoa. Because like mercury, when Never taken decomposed. orally, very little gets absorbed. Oh, good so for them. So most of it goes right through you and it doesn't like degenerate yes. at all. And so they have actually, based on the writings of Lewis and Clark, find their encampments, walk 90 paces, and look for where the latrine was, and be able to prove that's where they were based on mercury in the soil. It's crazy. Isn't that so, crazy? So Super that's cool. the connection to yeah. Lewis and Clark. Yeah. Mercury, and if you but Google this, it's just crazy. It is really stuff is there. crazy. But what is the um, the place in, in uh, Montana, the big, huge... Yeah. Um, there's a big, huge state park there, Yellowstone? which is, no, nope. um, <laughs> that is the number one, uh, glacier. Nope. Yeah. Nope. It's smaller than that. You're not going to remember. I will find it though. Um, well, you just let us know. We'll get on. back to I you. I will get there. The, the, where are the mountains? Sawtooth mountains? Something yeah. like that. Traveler's Rest. Yeah. Uh, it's near Billings, Montana, but, uh, Traveler's Rest because that is where they must have spent a, a significant amount of time, this yeah. camp at one a lot point. Of mercury. And so, you know, now they say, like, it's actually in all the papers, like, if you're one of the, the tour guide things in Montana, they talk about this Traveler's Rest post, and you can't, you still can't drink the water. Huh. Don't drink the water. Thanks, Lewis and Clark. So, yeah, if you find some of that mercury, it came right from. Dr. Benjamin Rush. Mm. So why is he we concerned about whether he's a friend or a foe? Well, his controversial medicine at his time, he was a little, he was one of those guys that had trouble with change. And uh, he was big into something called depletion therapy, mm. which uh, he had actually been a student of somebody uh, called William Cullen in Scotland who actually was into nosology. And you'd think that the nosology would be about your nose, but in fact, he basically felt that all disease was classified on the basis of a symptom or th- and this whole theory that it was a everything was a nervous action. Mm. So obviously the the problem with this was that this was kind of this useless theory because there was it really didn't give you a guide to what the etiology was, what the treatment was, what the diagnosis was. And at some point finally Dr. Rush abandoned this and he had to come up with his own new principle of medicine, which he did. Yeah. He actually had this whole thing where there's literally only one fever. Everything is caused by the exact same thing. Yep. Mm. All fevers are a single entity, kind of like fire. His, his The way he described this was fire is also a single entity. It doesn't matter what you're burning, it's still fire. It's like they don't actually know what's going on, so they just get to come up with some clever BS. Isn't, I mean, but isn't it, when I was reading some of this stuff, it, it kind of made me, like, jealous in a way, yeah. you know, like, It'd be great to come up with something and go, this is it. And everybody yeah. just believes you and yeah, you don't have yeah. to prove it. And now we have to like know every little detail. So he, yeah. he basically said that all fever was caused by this irregular convulsive action of blood vessels, which was a completely different than what everyone else was believing at the time. And uh, and all these local manifestations like rashes, pleurisy, you know, all these other things that people get, 
those were just to distract you from the real problem, yeah. and you should ignore them. So the and only way to get rid of it was to fix the problem, therefore bloodletting. Yeah, so he was an early believer in the, it was just like a cytokine storm. So he was just really far ahead of <laughs> yeah, his time. He, he was like, this you is know, like, he was describing the cytokine storm yeah, like right. 200 years before yeah, anybody. Yeah. yeah. More yeah. than that. <laughs> 250 yeah. years before. That's interesting. So, See, yeah. I want to be on the pro Benjamin Rush now because we can say he was the inventor of the cytokine storm. <laughs> yeah. But basically what he said was that His you could treat anything. helped COVID. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You could treat anything by calming the vessels. And the only way to calm the vessels, I may think it's obvious, uh, you need to purge and bleed. Yeah. And so he was big into this. He And actually in 1796, he actually upped his game and said that this was a unitary principle of disease, this whole, this, this calming the vessels. That was, and he and I quote, there is but one disease in the world. The proximate cause of disease is irregular convulsive action in the vascular system. And for a small, small price, I can <laughs> cure it. <laughs> With my thunderbolt pills. <laughs> yeah. And bloodletting. And bloodletting. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he, uh, he really uh, was interesting that way. And uh, he believed basically that any physician that believed otherwise uh, really was uneducated. And, yeah. Like and, if you believed in multiple diseases. Yeah, and he had, you know, and he had followers. But here's where the wheels came off the cart. The yellow fever, 1794, 1797, hits where he's living, Philadelphia. He uh, he was seeing 100 people a day. I mean, you know, we all have those days. Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, have you, you've never seen 100 people I think the a most, day? I think I've gotten up to 50. Yeah, I've, but seen, I've, I've no. seen that, 60. Yeah. Yeah. No. But I but I'm feeling like I, I'm getting a sense of what might be happening here yeah. with his, you know, yellow f- a contagious. Can you see disease. where we're going? Yeah, a little uh typhoid Mary yeah, situation. Ah, uh, exactly. <laughs> and uh so funny you say that we totally on a tangent. Typhoid Mary, we were talking about that in relation to asymptomatic COVID patients, mm. but anyway. Yeah, typhoid Mary. You know that they quarantined her? Multiple times for almost for 30 years, almost 30 years because she was a chronic carrier. Ugh, 30 years brutal. she was, and she would sneak away and get other jobs in kitchens. under different names, yeah, and then kill people. That's how all the upper class people in New York died because she'd be really? their cook, yeah. Huh. And so, like, why are all these upper class people getting typhoid when it's like a lower class thing? Huh. That's how, and anyway. somebody would recognize her and go, Oops, but anyway, so he was bloodletting half of Philadelphia, and, it, and it's and it's. And basically, it was reported that there was so much blood poured in his front yard that the stench and flies were epic. Oh. Uh, but he was. I and, wonder if there's like iron traces in that yard. Yeah, there you go. Probably. I mean, we're talking about the mercury and latrines. I wonder if they've ever gone back and tried to figure that out and did, done like samples. Yeah. yeah. And of course, the large majority of the physicians in the area completely disagreed with him. And then he got into megadoses. Mm. So, calomel. The which was mercury. the mercury. Uh, normally they give one grain, but he was given 10 grains and he found that that was maybe better. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so really what happened is over a period of time, they realized that although if you would treat people, which the, the wiser of the doctors were treating everybody symptomatically, right? The fluids, all this and that. And he was doing these extravagant treatments and he was killing 50% of his patients where Oof. the average person would was roughly 30%. 30, 30% about a third of patients died who yeah. got it. Yeah. I don't know. I just love this quote. Which one? The the, the satirist, William Cobit. Cobit. 
He characterized Dr. Rush's work as one of the great discoveries which have contributed to the depopulation of the earth. <laughs> yeah. And he got sued. He actually got sued for oh, like $5,000 and actually uh, and and lost that. But unfortunately what happened is uh, they all rebelled against him and, and he was actually forced to resign from the College of Physicians, which I think is like when the board would come to take your license. Yeah. You know, suddenly his whole life went into disarray. You know, it actually reminds me of a, we won't say the name, but a, a practitioner of pain medicine that we've talked about before. Yeah. But in just more in general, it's pain medicine is this thing that like 25 years ago was like hip and trendy and everybody did it. And it did have great evidence base, but everybody did it. And now it's just, and you thought you were special and humanitarian and you were doing as you were told. You were doing what medicine told you to do in the mid-90s when you were slinging opioids for pain. And now it's just fall from grace for those people. And I kind of feel bad for some of them because how do you, when you're an older provider... How do you shift? Not every older provider can shift gears as seamlessly yeah, as you can. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kids catching on, Heather. I can't. Right? I mean, yeah, the target is it, right? I'm still down. Try not to kick me again. Yeah. But I, you know, and that's what I, when you hear this, you see like someone who got taught and believed a certain system and it turned out that hurt people. I mean, yeah. And then to get disgraced. But then also to have that little bit of a lot of ego. You know, yeah, like even even he well, said that. That's the well, reminder. That was part of the problem is that he truly believed that he was chosen by God to treat these patients Ugh. in Philly. That's what he had told people. And and anybody who was opposed to him, he considered um, sacrilegious. Mm. And so he just he just stuck to his guns, despite mm. the fact a lot of his friends came to him and said, hey, man, you got to change what you're doing. You're like killing people. Uh, yeah, so, you're, yeah. You're getting, you're getting lampooned in the newspapers. Time yes. To- <laughs> and I think the last thing I'll mention is that the only physician that they that uh, the AMA the AMA has ever made a statue of that stands in Washington mm. D.C. is actually this man, Doctor yeah. Benjamin Rush. Interesting, but he's shrouded in controversy and like you know love. But him, it's you know hate him. I don't it's, know. It's just so interesting to me because like we were just saying, you know, there's this belief system where i mean if you think back to 1776 which only one of the three of us was alive (laughs) back then there's gotta be like like you said charlie there's this belief okay and how wrong all of that was yet here we are addiction is a disease alcoholism is alcoholism is a disease and so he wasn't wrong about that yet I don't know See, and I'm how gonna, he really felt about that. I'm going to go on the side that he had a lot of great ideas. One of them wasn't his chair that had a box on your head to <laughs> increase <laughs> blood flow. But he brought a lot of, I think, a lot of great ideas to mental health as a disease. I mean, I think he came up with some things, but, um, you know, he had to learn to change. And he didn't do that well. Yeah. So. I, and, you know, and is he a friend or is he a foe? Can I give you my opinion on that? Absolutely. Friend or foe, Charlie? The, well, so I, I would say foe, and here's why. Not because he got things wrong. Because how many things are we doing wrong right now? We don't even know about it. I mean, we were like all given beta blockers for perioperative beta blockers. And then, whoops, we gave people strokes with that. So we were all doing stuff that we later regret. It's the stubbornness that he had when he, I mean, every doctor faces uncertainty, makes choices with incomplete evidence. And every doctor hurts people with their therapeutic options. But you got to be humble. And when it ain't working... It ain't working. And when the evidence is in front of your face, people, you're killing 50%. Everybody else is killing 30%. 
Yeah. That's why he's the foe. Not because he did wacky stuff, because <laughs> his eyes were closed to his, out, his own outcomes. So Kurt's, Kurt's favorite quote, which changed the way you think. Yeah. You got to adapt. Yeah. Adapt or die. So, yeah. 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 So that is Dr. Benjamin Rush, friend or foe or in between. Yeah. I was waiting for you to say friend or foe. I don't know because that rhymes. Ooh. Okay. How, how come we don't have more like celebrity doctors? I guess maybe we do, but I feel like there aren't statues of doctors the way there are statues of military people and politicians. Sports figures. Sports figures. Brett Favre, does he have one? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Have you never been to Lambeau? No. Yeah. You, if you ever want to, well. There'd be like one of Charlie right next to him. Yeah. He was an addiction doctor. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be, like, be like this. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's, holding a, he's holding a book and, and Favre is holding a football. Yeah. So, nice. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Well, we better let the band take this one over, Heather, and put this one to sleep. But uh, you decide for yourself, friend or foe. All right. Thanks again. Satan has gone.
not a glorious thing to be cold on the street, walking before the sun showed her face. I'm alone and so tired of the hell.